When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, hon, it's me, Danielle. I'm a licensed clinical mental health counselor, and I'm here to talk about all the ways multi-level marketing and mental health do not mix. It is important to know that this podcast is not meant to diagnose or for treatment. This podcast is based off of personal experiences and opinions and is meant to educate and entertain. Now sit back and start healing with me on this episode of From Huns to Humans. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of From Huns to Humans. I am here with Brandy today and... I'm very excited because we are talking about Arbonne. Yes. <laughs> so was Arbonne your first MLM? Yes, it was. It was my first and only MLM that I was a part of. Well, we of, love yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> um, especially when, like, I I know, like, that's so common for people to try, like, three or four. Um, so, like, it's, like, three to five is usually what we say. Um, so it's always really exciting to me when like people figure it out the first time and don't jump to another one. Um, do you like, I know we're jumping right to the end of your story, but do you have any like insight as to why you didn't jump to another MLM right away? Um, I think my experience leaving Arvon was just so bad in general, um, that I didn't really want to have that experience again. So I kind of, you know, being a part of our body, you do learn the keys and cues that people use in direct messaging you. Like, you know, I, I remember I posted not that long ago, like my body is, you know, I'm very young, but I'm going through menopause. And I was just asking people like, Hey, like, does anybody know something to increase your metabolism? I had five girls message me all a part of MLM. And it's just like, I don't know. It just, it doesn't feel good. And, you know, like I said, leaving was so hard. So I just didn't want to be a part of anything like that again, or pull anybody else into the MLM world. Yeah, that makes total sense. All right, let's circle back to the beginning of your story. What got you into MLM? Yeah, so it's so kind of backtracking here. So my husband and I um, had been trying to have kids for about three years. Um, and we were just weren't having any luck. So I actually had gone to several different doctors. Um, one doctor just kind of was straight up with me, said they couldn't do anything for me. So I found somebody else who, um, the second doctor, she actually found out that I had endometriosis really bad, which is this, that buildup of tissue, um, inside your body. 
and especially on like the reproductive organs. So she had gone in there and taken a bunch out with surgery. Um, and she kind of was like, Hey, like there's nothing else I can do for you here because it had gotten to the point where it had kind of turned into like a cement type thing, which means I'd been growing in there for years. Um, and so I went to a third doctor who he was older and he was a fertility clinic. So, um, specialized in IUIs and IVF and he actually ended up pointing out that my fallopian tubes didn't even work anymore. So I had to have surgery to get those taken out. And oh yeah. My God, that like, okay. So like, I mean, literally right off the start, like that vulnerability, that, that touch point that people are looking for on the predator side, like you are glowing like a beacon. Yes. Like, yes. you know, like, oh my gosh, I am so sorry that you went through all that. That sounds so traumatic. Yes. It, I mean, it was, but then, you know, we all go through different things for a reason. And, you know, I really have really strong faith. And um, we actually, after we did IVF, so after I had the surgery to get my fallopian tubes out, we did IVF. We had a very small chance of it working. Um, they implanted two embryos and we ended up having our son, uh, which we got very lucky that it worked out um, the first time, but he was about eight months old and we were kind of getting to the point where we were thinking about doing IVF again um, because I was on a very limited time span because my doctor told me I was going to go through menopause very early. And um, I just remember I was kind of at a low point in my life. I had a lot of postpartum depression too. And I had gained weight, things I weren't, things I wasn't used to, because when you do IVF, they suggest that you don't work out a whole lot. Um, and, you know, I was used to working out. I was used to being fit. And I saw one of my girlfriends that I went to high school with and she looked great. And she was at this big party with all these women who were wearing all these white dresses. And I had reached out to her. I was like, Hey, I just wanted to see like what you're doing. Like you look awesome. You look happy. And she was like, yeah, like, let me give you a call. And so she talked to me about the Arbonne 30 Days to Healthy Living. Um, so I ended up doing that whole 30-day program, had really great results. And she ended up saying to me, like, oh, my gosh, like, I'd love for you to meet my friend so-and-so. And, you know, whenever people say to you and you're not sure of MLM world, like, hey, let me, like, meet your friend. You're like, oh, perfect. Um, and yes. Yeah, I know. So. <laughs> yeah, I just, um, I wanted to just pause because it's been a while since we've gone through what the 30 days to healthy living actually is. Uh, so do you want to talk about like what you were doing for 30 days to healthy living for anyone that doesn't know what it is? Yes. Yeah. So their 30 days to healthy living program. Um, it is basically you have two shakes a day. Um, and you're eating like this. You also are taking like a probiotic or digestion plus the greens, um, and everything like that. So you're basically having two liquid meals a day. And then you're also doing like a lemon ginger cleanse to get all of the crap out of your colon. Um, and you have like one solid meal at dinner time. So you have two liquid meals and your solid meal, no snacking, 
just water and their fizz sticks. Um, you have to get rid of all of caffeine, artificial sugars and stuff like that. So you're basically doing that diet for 30 days and the meal plans are coming from the people in Arbonne. So there's really no doctor support behind what they're doing. The people themselves, like each team has their own set of meals that they're giving people. Um, so that's kind of what the 30 days to healthy living was that I did. And no wonder I lost so much weight because I really wasn't eating a whole lot either. Yeah. Um, and I think that, so a lot of things are happening here. So replacing two meals with, uh, shakes a day, uh, obviously that's a lot less calories, even if you're doctoring them up and adding bananas and all of that stuff, like you're still not really hitting like calories for like a typical meal. Um, so obviously that puts you in a calorie deficit, um, which is fine when it's, you know, we don't need to get into it, but yeah, <laughs> go listen to my husband's podcast if you want to talk yeah. about calories. Um, but yeah, so we have that. So, but the disordered eating like mindset, which is happening in Arbonne and then the meals that you were having, were did you partake in like cutting out all of the like stuff that they tell you to cut out? Like you literally can't, you can pretty much have chicken. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Which uh, it's so crazy to me. Cause like where I came, where I came from originally, like we're very big into beef and they're like, no, no dairy, no cows, nothing. And it was like, I mean, I did, I eat straight chicken. So basically the stuff in my freezer, I felt like I was spending so much unnecessary money that I didn't, I already had a gluten allergy. So that had already been cut out of my diet for so long. Um, but I got rid of dairy. I tried to become a vegan for about a week. And then I figured out like that, that was really not my thing. Like I tried to make, um, uh, what I tried, I tried to make queso out of cashews and it, it just turned out terrible. So like my week of being a vegan, because that's what, you know, one of the, they were doing that. What is it? That hard. What is it? The 75 hard or something. Yeah. And so everybody was doing that. Everybody was becoming a vegan. And I, I mean, I was in really good shape, but at the same time, it's not realistic to work out twice a day with a toddler and be in a deficit. And I was making my son have the shakes too, because that's what I was having. So he probably wasn't having a whole lot to eat as well. So. Right. And like, they, they act like all of this is fine. And like, I'm sure a shake every now and then, like the, there are vitamins and stuff in these protein shakes and whatever. Like it, it's certainly some of them, some of them are not terrible for a kid to have every once in a while, like whatever. But I mean, you're right. Like every day, that's a lot for, mm -hmm. for a kiddo um, to, you know, meet their nutritional needs too. Um, but yeah, so lots of restriction in the Arbonne 30 days, which is super bad for us uh, mentally. Um, also, when we do like these really drastic diets like this, um, especially in combination with that much exercise, which is also not good for us. Um, if you're working out every single day, twice a day for 75 days, um, your muscles have absolutely no time to repair. Um, so muscle growth is pretty much impossible and you're really likely to get an injury. So I really don't love 75 hard. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, I had another point and I lost it. Um, I, I can't find it. So anyways, the point is that 
this is really bad and don't do starvation diets combined with 75 hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So I did that. I had really great results. So I was sharing it with people. I met um, my upline's friend at the time who I, you know, like you had said earlier, like you could look on my Instagram, you knew I did IVF, you knew it was a huge part of my life. Um, and then I knew like we had spent a lot of money. I don't know if people on this podcast know, but IVF, um, where I was from at the time was not covered by insurance. Some States are covering it now, but, um, it was around, uh, 12 to $15,000 to do, um, which I was on a time crunch anyway. They said we didn't have much time because my eggs were kind of going downward. So, um, I'm glad we did it when we did but you could probably see that off of my social media. So, um, her upline had talked to me, whatever. And she was just like, Hey, like, I don't know if maybe an extra $500 would change your life, you know, but we could start there because she's like, because I saw that you did, you know, IVF to have your son and I'm sure you'd like to do it again and blah, blah, blah. So that was really my whole aspect of joining Arbonne was because I wanted to get money to have another baby because I always dreamed of uh, a big family for us. So, wow. Yeah. So like how, how predatory, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. How do you feel about that now? Um, I just, I, it feels terrible. Like, you know, you don't realize that people do stalk your social media until like, that's what you're taught in multi-level marketing. You stalk the social media to try to make some sort of connection. And it does, it makes you scared to put stuff on your social media now. Like I do it. So my family back home knows, you know, Hey, like this is what we're doing, you know, and a way for them to connect, but people use it as a predatory way to get you to join um, their company. So I think it's, it was a real eye-opener for me and definitely I'm more aware of what I post on my social media. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's just so unfortunate because, you know, like you said, like you've, you don't live near your family right now. So like for you to be able to update them and let them know, like, this is what you're going through. And like, I think that there's something so powerful in us owning our stories and being able to like share them when we want to, when we're ready um, but having that turned around on you is just so disgusting, like trying to like create power out of a situation that can be so helpless. It can be so wonderful. And then just, like I said, have it turned around on you. Just absolutely disgusting. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. So that was me. I joined the business. Um, and it was kind of like during that time of where COVID was kind of coming through, mm -hmm. um, but not, not quite yet. So I'd actually had two in-person parties that went really, really well. So um, in the first month, I ended up promoting to like district manager. That's like their first level of the company. And people just treat you like you're so amazing. They're like, oh my gosh, great. So they definitely love bomb you. They send you all the gifts. And then you get recognized on like your big team calls. So I feel like that's like my big love language is like words of affirmation and like in gifting, you know, getting gifts. Um, and so they were definitely hitting all the right spots with me. And then we started hitting into the era of COVID, um, which was really, I mean, which was really crazy. So we went from in-person parties to everything being online. And so many people had lost their jobs at that time. But that was really when I hit my area manager was the second level of the company was during COVID because 
I knew so many of my friends had lost their jobs. I wanted to genuinely help them. I think that was my big thing is I wanted to help them make money and um, different things like that. Um, and so I had grown really big in a time when people were really struggling with money. Right. I think that this is something so important. Like, and it's something that means like a real lot to me is that like, we really don't like think about everyone as like a dollar sign for the most part when we're in like I really thought I could help people when I was in and like you said too like you were really trying to help your friends to like be healthy and like also have like their own business like I remember everyone talking about like so many people were losing their jobs and then so many people were scared of losing their jobs and of course like a network marketing company working from home like that's what we're all looking for, right? Like mm -hmm. all of those people that had jobs that couldn't be brought to, to work from home, like were scared and desperate. And a lot of them signed up for multi-level marketing companies. Yeah. Yeah. Which is crazy because my husband and I were both, so, so I had a full-time job too. I was a teacher. Um, my husband was still working and we had our son at home who was two, almost two at the time. And I guess I didn't really realize like with all of that was working, like how much we were actually neglecting him because it was all, you know, it was scary for everybody. People were afraid of losing their jobs. I knew I wasn't going to lose my job because the world always needs teachers, right? right. Uh, my husband, we weren't sure because his job is in um, coaching. So what he does is, you know, you just, ne you never know when universities are going to be like, this is cut, this is cut. Right. Um, and so we were trying to stay on top of that. I really genuinely wanted to help people. Um, I think my, so my uplines, uplines, so our national vice president at the time, um, I felt like they were really, really pushing, like, we have to help people in COVID because they have inflamed bodies. Um, we have to help people make money. And I think the thing that really started bothering me, um, kind of like my first red flag, which again, I didn't stop doing it for a whole nother year, but was when the FTC kind of came in really hard at Arbonne and all of these multi-level marketing companies um, for things that they were doing and saying, um, which I mean, was like a, like a shock to me because like I had known that Advocare had really just, I mean, Advocare had gone through the FTC. They had been sued a crap ton. So I knew what the FTC was and it was scary. Like we, they got this letter and we had to have an emergency meeting about what was going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And like, oh, that's so yucky too. Like, I mean, so it doesn't, I mean, you didn't say that she was saying that you guys could help cure COVID, but like, that was definitely the underlying like implication of like, oh, everyone has inflammation because of COVID or like inflammation is going to make you more susceptible to COVID. So whatever the you want to like imply there that's yucky yeah it, it, it was it was a terrible feeling and we actually so we had an emergency meeting I remember the the email came out that we had gotten a warning from the FTC and what it included and we had a meeting and that was at the time when people didn't know that zoom had a limit of the number of people that could get on a call so they had to have two separate calls um, and it was basically that we had to go through our social media and swipe a bunch of stuff out. So before and after pictures had to come out, any hashtag of COVID had to come out, any 
claims that we were making not based on the product had to come out. So it was like, basically like I had to delete everything off of my social media because my whole social media became about Arbonne and my experience. And there were a lot of girls that were really upset because they got team members by posting their paychecks. They weren't allowed to do that anymore. Um, I remember there was one girl that had to give a compliance talk a month later, but it was directed at her because she had so much, like she had gone against what Arbonne was telling us to do on social media. So it was like, almost like they humiliated her to have a compliance talk with us because we all knew she did a lot of the things Arbonne told her not to. And she ended up leaving the company and she was like an executive national vice president. So that was my experience after the letters came out from the FTC was going through and swiping our accounts because if you were doing anything against what Arbonne was telling you to do, they were gonna go ahead and deactivate your account within 48 hours. Wow. I mean, like, good for them for, like, actually having some standards, but, um, but I can also see why that's, like, so scary on the other side, like, you're used to all of these things, and of course, they spin it, so it's the big bad FTC, like, God forbid that, like, we have any sort of regulation going on. Yeah, I, I think that was, like, the crazy, I had just brought new team members on, and new team members were very skeptical. They were like, what do you mean I can't post a before and after? What do you mean I can't do this? I'm like, well, this is just what the FTC told Arbonne to do. And I did, I did have a lot of people dip out after that, because they did find it sketchy, which... I did too at the time, but again, I was like, mm, it's okay. Like everybody gets hit with an FTC letter every once in a while, or that's what our appliance were telling us. Um, they just, you know, they just got to put us in check. And it was like, oh my word. So again, I should have left then, but I didn't. I stayed in a whole another year after that. And on one hand, like you can kind of justify it, right? Like, okay, so if you owned a restaurant, a health inspector would come in and they would, you know, give you a review and they would say like, okay, these things are great. Oh, like, you know, I saw this, it really needs improvement. Of course, I don't think they're as nice as that, but, <laughs> um, you know, you can kind of like chalk it up to be like all industries are supposed to have these checks and balances, but multi-level marketing companies in general, like villainize the FTC um and really uh scoff at any sort of regulatory body like that's why so many of them are in like the supplement world where there is so it's literally the wild wild west of <laughs> um healthcare if you want to call it that I guess kind of falls in that umbrella <laughs> yes yes so yeah, so that was really crazy. And then we, so my husband actually ended up getting offered a job somewhere else, which was an incredible opportunity for him. Um, so we ended up moving really far away from family, which was not expected at the time. But right before then, um, we were trying to do IVF for the second time. So again, I, this is why I always kept saying like, thanks to Arbonne, like I get to do this, you know, whatever. But in reality, I also had a teaching job. My husband had a job and Arbonne was an extra source of income for me. So really it was all of the things, yeah. um, but we went to go try and do it again, come to find out, uh, my ovaries weren't working anymore. So I had hit my time limit and, and that was it. So I remember my husband actually moved. So we got the results from that. He moved um, for the new job. So I was definitely, I hit a state of depression in my business, um, really. 
And I remember telling the girls on my team, like, Hey, I just got to take a step back because you know, you're always taught in multi-level marketing. Like if you're not happy, then you really shouldn't be around other people because you're going to drag them down as well. Um, so I did. So I kind of took a step back and I remember our, um, national vice president at the time giving me a, giving me a call. And she was like, well, things could be so much worse. Like you could have just never even had a baby the first time. Um, there's always the option of adapting. So like, you're totally fine. Like things could be worse. And I just, I mean, but that, that was my experience with it. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, are you kidding me? Like there's, there's no sympathy in there whatsoever. It was just like, Hey, we'll just keep moving forward because eventually you're going to get enough money that you can adapt. But I don't think people always understand like, yes, like, yes, I do have the heart for that. Yes. It might be an option someday, but like, let me process not being able to have my own biological child anymore. Right. Like, and like, you're allowed to have whatever feelings happen during that time. And like, for her to just dismiss and take away and not be like a validating friend is so inappropriate and wrong I'm uh, wow just like that's terrible we all know like this is what frustrates me so much like everyone knows that like adoption is an option like everyone knows that that's not it's not like anyone woke up and was just like oh I never thought of that like thanks so much oh yes so that was, uh, that and was really, I'm sorry. I, and no, also to say, to say what had, would have happened if you didn't have your son, that, that literally made my stomach drop. That's so gross. I, I think I've said this on the podcast before, but I'm going to say it again. Um, like trauma is not a dick measuring contest. We don't need to like compare trauma to other people to validate our own and like it's the same thing so like being like oh well like I don't deserve to be sad about this because other people have it worse is the same thing as saying I don't deserve to be happy about this because other people are happier like it just that is ridiculous Mm -hmm. um and like we live in this world where we're so encouraged especially in MLM to shove our sad feelings down to not be sad but don't forget to share your vulnerabilities with everyone online so like you can have this like vulnerable thing in your life but you're not allowed to have feelings about it oh it just makes me so mad yeah no i know and at the time it made me mad too but then i was like i was like oh yeah like you know eventually i started thinking you know she's right like at least I have my son. You know what I mean? Like they start to make you feel like, you know, that was just like, that was my experience. It was just like, well, you know, she's right on this end. So I'm just going to keep going, keep moving forward. So, um, my son and I didn't actually start moving with my husband. We were back at home with my parents for about three months before we sold the house, got everything moved and things like that. So, obviously my upline was like, you are so lucky. You are about to grow your business in a whole new place with all these new people. And you're just going to like, you're just going to grow big. Well, that didn't happen, right? Like I started, my business started slowly declining and it wasn't because of lack of effort. It was because I had genuinely wanted to meet people, to meet people and actually make genuine friendships. Um, and I feel like, and you know, it's just my experience, like most of the time, if you're in Arvon or multi-level marketing, you're making friends in hopes that they'll buy a product from you or in hopes that they're going to join your business. 
And I was just like, the whole idea of meeting people, having gatherings at my house, it, it just like, it didn't make me feel great because I wanted to get to know people. I wanted to form genuine friendships, which I have um, down here. And I didn't want to include network marketing in my, you know, in my pitch to them, which I did at first. I mean, I was, you know, talking to people about it, whatever. And they, they kind of had a negative feeling about Arbonne is what I ended up finding out. They'll be like, oh, I had a friend that did that. Like it didn't work out well for her and all that other stuff. Well, then that's when was it Lula Rich, but came out. And I was, I remember I watched that and I was like, oh my gosh, like so many of these things are happening, right? Like with that, the things I'm taking part of, so many of that is happening. And I remember my applying definitely getting mad at me for not growing. Like, why aren't you growing? What's happening? Like, I'm going to come down there and we're going to throw a party and I'm going to help you because you need help because clearly you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. And I was like, well, so many people have watched this Lula Rich documentary and don't want to join Arbon because of what happened with these people's experience and Lula Rowe. And she's like, that's not true. And why did you even watch it? So I was kind of shamed for engaging in that type of, you know, thing, Daniel. I'm sure you're, yeah, you're nodding your head. Yes. So you completely understand this. Yeah, I mean, like the information control, right? Like just taken straight from the bite model, you know, they don't want us to have the other side's information, quote unquote, the other side. Um, like they want to control the narrative narrative. They don't want you to have the the facts and statistics that the FTC has. It's it's just oh gross. I know. So eventually I ended up earning a retreat, right? I earned two retreats. Um, the first one I went to was okay. I mean, it was a smaller group of people. Um, so it went fine. Um, is this like, um, like a team led retreat? Yeah. So you, but you had to earn it. So you had to do, so many. <laughs> I know you had to do so much QV. So you had to sell so much product, but you also had to sponsor so many new people at the same time, even though, we're not looking at recruiting mm -hmm. technically with our experience with these earned retreats. It You technically had to build a team in order to earn anything right. um, in Arbonne. So um, I had earned the first one, went okay. I mean, it was smaller group. So I met a lot of people, but um, you do, once you start crossing some teams, you find out that other people are having the same struggles you are. So you're like, okay, like not alone there's these other girls that have moved different places too, that have had a struggle because it's like, okay, like, am I making friends to sell a product or am I making friends? Cause I want to make friends that line right there. Um, but it wasn't until my second earned retreat, which I ended up, um, Danielle having to pay so much money after the fact. So yes, you've earned it, but you're going to owe, you know, your upline or whoever so much money for a hotel, drinks and whatever. They don't tell you that ahead of time. So that was a thousand dollars that I didn't have to spend that I ended up spending after the facts. That's, oh my God. So they didn't tell you to like have any like spending money or anything like that. They didn't help you like to budget for this at all. 
No, no. So we knew we had to pay so much for a ticket. We knew we had to pay for a flight. Um, we, you know, you kind of know you budget that, but in, in this ticket, this is what my assumption was, which maybe it's, it was my assumption, but I thought this included your food and your drinks and everything at the convention center that we were having, but it wasn't. So some stuff was included, but not, but nobody ever told you, you know, you ended up having to pay for the hotel you were staying at because that was already booked through our upline. So I didn't realize after the fact that she would be sending me a message, Hey, by the way, you owe me this much money. Um, That's so so scummy. Mm -hmm. I really don't like that. Like if you were planning a trip with your friends, you would like, everyone would be on the same page and say like, okay, like hotel's going to cost this much per person. Like, you know, we're planning to do X, Y, Z things like, oh, like we should have enough groceries to cover these meals, but we're probably going to go out these nights. Like, you know what I mean? Like all of those things would be discussed. And if you were like to go to any other thing, like you would know what is and what is not included. Right, right. But they didn't do that there. So um, we went to this retreat and um you know, in my experience, it was just, it was odd. We had to wear matching shirts. We had like a color palette plan we had to follow. And we just had, we'd literally sit in a room for eight hours a day listening to different speakers. And there was a couple of them that really kind of irked, irked me a little bit while I was there. Um, one being that like in order to level up in the company, sometimes you kind of have to put your kids off to the side. Um, you know, it's okay. They'll be in diapers. They can have junk food for a certain period of time, but that's what it takes. And to me, that just, it, it didn't feel good or hire a babysitter. Isn't so, that the point? Isn't that yeah. the point of joining? Like, isn't that the point of being a mompreneur is that you're supposed to be able to work from home while you raise your babies? Like, yeah. isn't that what they try to tell us? Like, yeah. oh my God. But instead, they kind of tell you to, you know, hire a babysitter, do this, do that. Um, and at the time, it's just, it, no, like, I, I couldn't do that to my my kid, um, mostly because we were potty training and everything. And I wanted to get that taken care of. He was ready. I was ready. Um, so putting him off to the side, you know, wasn't an option. Hiring a babysitter for $20 an hour is very difficult to do, especially if now you've gone from three types of income to, you know, working a business that you're not making much money. And my husband was the only one working. So that didn't sit right with me. I guess there were three things. And then the second one, it was, uh, the lady was talking and was like, you know, to get your spouse on board, which my spouse, I mean, my husband was great. My husband was great with everything. Um, but to really make sure they're on board, whenever you got back from these retreats, you were supposed to make sure that your husband was satisfied. Uh, meaning to, you know, make sure that you're having sex with your husband when you get home, that way that they put a positive feeling with our bond. That <laughs> is terrifying. I am so upset that they are dictating that. Oh my gosh. And obviously we've heard like things like this, especially from Roberta. I know that she's talked about this a lot. I don't know that anyone's come on here and talked about that maybe in an earlier episode, but Oh my God. I know that it happens, but I'm always shocked whenever I actually hear that somebody experienced that. 
Yeah, I I think it was shocking to me just because I was like, I mean, everybody was clapping. Like people were standing up and clapping and yang. And I was like, like people are okay with manipulating their husbands. Like I know, I remember I told my husband that when I came home and he's like, so they want you to manipulate me. And I, I, yeah, sure, sure. That's, that was it. And then they ended up changing a lot of their mottos to instead of working from home, work from phone because not everybody wants to be a stay-at-home mom and it was like you know just with my experience at that retreat it was like almost like shamed to be a stay-at-home mom because nobody wants to do that people want to travel I'm going to be honest I would like to be a stay-at-home mom and not travel like that (laughs) that would be good but they ended up changing their motto to work from home to work from phone because that was more appealing especially to the younger generation of people who don't have kids yet and are in college oh my god I mean I I mean yeah first of all like I can't I I think that I've talked about this on the podcast like we have no intention of having children but I cannot imagine having a young child and like being like we're gonna travel like right right there like if if I had a kid I would be like oh no I'm never leaving my house again like what's the grocery store I don't know yeah I I won't I won't know ever again because I'm not leaving my house (laughs) (laughs) so so uh, Daniel you would have thought like I would have left after that but I didn't um I felt like it was like you know, I'm a very faith-based person and I really felt like, you know, the Lord was kind of trying to push me out, but like, I wasn't, I wasn't really listening. So this was kind of like my series of unfortunate events that kind of caused me to leave, which I now look at as fortunate events. So, right. right. So like, so your cognitive dissonance was like really like smacking you in the face Yes, and you're like, okay, well, I mean, I'm just going to keep going. Yeah, because I was just like, I guess I, I'm a people pleaser in general. So I was afraid to lose that group of people because I looked at, I mean, being in a business for three years with people that you Zoom with, I'm going to be honest, you Zoom with them on Sundays, you Zoom with them on Mondays, you have book club on Saturday, you have verbiage training on Thursday. So you're with them for four, five days out of the seven. And that's not including if you schedule an extra power hour with your team or, you know, you you just get bored or they're your friends now. So you're going to talk to them like regularly. Yeah. So I, I mean, that was a huge, like, I I didn't want to leave for that fact. Um, Now that I've left, I realized that a lot of those people don't even care, but it was so crazy. So like, after I left this retreat, I had actually, you know, I'd come home. I talked to my husband. He's just like, you know, you got to do you. Like, if you want to leave, I support you. If you don't want to leave, that's fine too. Um, And I remember having a conversation with one of my girlfriends in her car and we had gone to a FCA event um, at the university here. And that's like the fellowship of Christian athletes. And, you know, I started crying afterwards and she's like, why are you crying? Like the, the stories were very powerful, but at the same time, like I was crying because like I wanted to leave something that I wasn't happy with, but I was afraid to. And she kind of, she just told me, she's like, you know what? Like you do things for God and your family and that's it. Everybody else, you gotta just, you gotta ignore whatever. And so I had to think about that for a while and I ended up going home over Thanksgiving And my grandma got super sick. So 
the day before Thanksgiving, we went to go visit her. She wasn't looking real well. And she had basically in the middle of the night, she had passed out. Um, her life alert went off and the ambulance ended up coming. And so we live right next door to my grandma. So life alert calls my mom and my mom wakes me up to go see what's, to see what's going on. So we run to her house. She's not breathing at the time. Um, she was, you know, she wasn't breathing at all. And that was so scary to see because I am really close to my grandma. And by the time the ambulance got there, she was breathing again. She was okay. But I was a wreck. I was a wreck after that. She's she's doing good now. Um, she has congestive heart failure, which happens as you get older. Um, but I remember telling my team I couldn't show up for a meeting the next day. Like I just needed time with my grandma while I was at home. And I got a call from, again, the national vice president um, that I need to stop bringing people down. That was a big thing. Um, and that at least she didn't die, right? It could have been worse. So that was, I remember getting really mad about that. And then a few months after that, it's just crazy, like how things just like happen. Like I was slowly getting upset at the things that were being said to me, but I wasn't leaving. And I think the thing that like broke the camel's back really was I ended up having my, my, I went in for like a normal checkup with my doctor who ended up doing blood level checks, whatever things that he normally probably wouldn't do. And he found out that my liver levels were like triple what they should have been. So he sent me somewhere really quickly to have an ultrasound. They found out that my gallbladder was double the size it should have been. And so within a week, that had to come out. So I had been, I'd always been kind of sick. Like my stomach was upset, whatever. Didn't think too much of it. Um, but I remember going through that experience and just like having like a God moment of like, okay, like, I think I need to focus more on my family just because, you know, you don't know what's going to happen to you. Cause I didn't really realize I'd go into surgery a week later, um, and have my gallbladder taken out. But I remember, I had kind of distanced myself then from the Arbonne crew. And I, for anybody that has any, um, you know, with COVID and immunizations, like, I don't really care what you do. Like you can get them, don't get them. I'm fine with either one. I chose to get it um, because that's what was best for me and my husband. We felt like it was the right thing to do. And when I did have to get my gallbladder taken out, my team, they're very big into conspiracies. I don't know if you know this, Danielle, but a lot of people, but they believed that my gallbladder was my fault because I had gotten the COVID vaccine. So that, it's my own fault. It was my own fault because I got the COVID vaccine and all that other stuff. So I think that was my limit. So I I think again, like pointing out here that, you know, the fear mongering of these things is really scary, uh, especially when it comes to our health. Like that is scary. We need to be listening to our doctors. And if your doctor says, hey, like you have a history of vaccine injury, you know, things like that. Like that's a very real thing. I'm not going to minimize that. Like people have that lived experience. Absolutely. But like, you know, if you're being coached by your doctors to do these things, like that's, that's, why that's why they exist right um so it's just so scary because also what's happening here is there 
um, lining up and telling you like, hey, don't trust science. Hey, don't look at these reports. Hey, don't look at facts and evidence. Look at all of like these rumors that we're gonna spread, which is just, just absolutely scary. Yeah, I mean, it is. And I think that was kind of like my breaking point because this conspiracy turned into these big, like the, with the QAnon thing, which, you know, goes a whole different direction. I know I'm going in a whole different direction. Oh here no, if you want to go there, we can. I, you are not the first person to tell me that Arbonne has brought them either to touch QAnon or all the way in. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just, I'm not a huge conspiracy theorist anyway, but like that was huge. And I feel like, I don't know, um, but this was my experience with Arbonne was that there was a huge divide in Arbonne over all of these conspiracy theories. So it was like a side of like, you were either vaccinated or you weren't vaccinated. I mean, that was kind of where it was, was going. And it was really crazy at the time they had a, like a national vice president's trip where half of them went, you know, like they either got vaccinated or they got the COVID test and they went to Maui or whatever it was. And then the other half stayed back and went to somebody else's house for their own retreat where they weren't vaccinated. They didn't want to get COVID tested because they believed that the, you know, government was putting stuff in their brains. Um, and things like that. So there was a huge divide then based on the conspiracy theories and things like that. And even with like the human trafficking, which I know happens, like I've done, like that was my research when I was in undergrad Mm -hmm. was on human trafficking, but they were giving money to an underground organization that none of us really knew about, but we were expected to give to, um, because that's what they were doing. They were, so Arbonne that has their trickled own. into my team too. Yeah. Oh, it did. It did. Okay. Yeah. Yep. And um, so just for anyone that has not listened to the episode that I did with a stripper's guide, um, good. I, I've learned a lot from her because I actually had somebody approach me uh, and with uh, wanting to sponsor the show and they're, uh, they're affiliated with um, like a organization to stop sex trafficking but it's very heavily police involved and very very heavily like church involved which for sex workers is actually really dangerous um we don't encourage police involvement in the sex work industry um so most of the time what you're looking for in an organization that is actually doing the work to stop sex trafficking are our sex workers and survivors they should be and are leading these organizations uh, and they know what they're talking about because they've been there and they're the people that are most at risk and they want to make sure that they're doing the right work. Um, So just for everyone that's out there, if you don't know, uh, definitely reach out to Leah if you want to have more detailed conversation about that because Uh, And again, her handle is uh, a stripper's guide. Um, She's so, so knowledgeable about this and has really taught me a lot. So um, yeah, side note. (laughs) Yeah, no, I love that. I did. I mean, I just was like, it was just like, they were talking about all these things that like, you know, I wasn't familiar with even like that big pharma was out to get you know, Arbonne, like that was a big thing, like big pharma. And I was just like, what the heck is that? So I'd ask my husband and he would tell me, and I was like, oh my gosh. So like, but you start believing these things because 
that's what they believe. Right. Right. And so there was, but there was a huge divide with our team in general. Um, and I kind of like, some things were making me really uncomfortable, obviously accusing like me, like my decision to get vaccinated was the reason that my gallbladder got big and had to come out. And I just felt like at that point, it was like, it was time for me to go. So I should have, Daniel, what I should have done was just like slowly pieced out, you know, like where you slowly step back and people don't really notice. But I felt like I owed it to my upline, our national vice president to just be like, hey, like I got to go. And I did. I mean, I, I called them. I had a conversation. I said, you know, there's just things going on that I'm not comfortable with. And I just think it's my time to go. I need to focus on my son who was going through through a lot of things with his speech delay. And it's like, nobody was understanding. Nobody was understanding that my focus had to shift. And Um, sorry, are you still an area manager at this time or did you? Yes. Yeah. I was still an area manager and I had actually gotten to um, the halfway point for regional vice president. So I had grown a lot um, I was still staying an area manager, but again, like I said, my business was declining mostly because I wasn't putting anything into it. Area manager, I think is, um, one of the hardest, uh, ranks to kind of like achieve and hold. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really once you, like, cause, and the way Arbonne does things is, and this is uh, again, another tangent, I'm so sorry, everyone. Um, but so the way that Arbor does things is you have to qualify for so many months, right? Before yes. you actually can hold the title. But once you hold the title, it doesn't matter if you slip back, you're always like kind of called that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that you do actually get demoted in the back office, right? You do. You get demoted in the back office, but you no, you don't tell anybody that you've been demoted. Right. So, so many of our, so I had a side note here, Daniel, I'd only went to one car party in three years. Um, you know, when you become regional vice president, you, you earn your Mercedes, which in reality, they end up just giving you so much money to pay for it, which there are a lot of girls that turn regional. They didn't get it. They just wanted to take the money because they were like, I, I don't want that type of a car anyway. Um, and so I get, and I'd only been to one car party and I think all of our regional vice presidents got demoted, but nobody knew it. Um, just like I was an area manager, I, I got demoted, but nobody knew it because right. you don't advertise that, nor do you change your handles and your Instagram. Right. No, no. You're always an area manager forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> going to say on your gravestone, Ar- Brandy, area manager. Yes. Yes. That's, <laughs> yes. But yeah, no, I definitely had declined. Um, and it, it, mostly because like I, I was going to Bible studies. I was doing all these things was with, um, especially like my neighbors love them. They're my age and they were really big on like, if something doesn't feel right to you, like, you know, you just got to let go of it. So I had let go of our bond, but the Huns weren't done. Like it's, it's never done, especially if you've grown that fast, um, in a short period of time. Um, they would call me, they would send me messages. And I really think the breaking point was when I had a conversation with, you know, our uplines upline and like the real, the top dogs in, um, our bond that were on our team. And the conversation just started like, you know, I could see the negative side of them, which I hadn't really seen before. Cause like, you know, they are good people. I'll be honest. They're good people. 
Um, but I feel like there's a certain type of, once you get to the highest level, like, and you're doing things that are wrong, but you still don't care type of thing. Like, I feel like that's kind of where they're at. They're like, I'm going to tell you stuff and it's going to hurt your feelings. And I don't really care because I feel like I'm telling my truth type of thing. And the conversation was, um, I ended up putting it on speakerphone and letting my husband listen because he's wondering why the heck I'm on the phone this long because nobody has two hour phone conversations anymore, unless it's with your mom really, um, or somebody that you really love. But anyway, so the conversation just got kind of turned into the only reason I became good at social media was because of Arbon. So without Arbon, I would have never been good at social media and people only follow me because I'm pretty. And I was like, okay. Or because I have a really good story to tell. Cause I did, I talked a lot about IVF. I talked a lot about my health issues. Which is um, so important. Like I said earlier, if you're open and ready to talk about your story, like we need that representation. Like a lot of people don't know what it's really like and don't know who to talk to or who to turn to when they're going through these things. So like, I really do commend you for being open to talking about that because we, we just don't have that representation. So that, oh God, I'm so angry for no, you. <laughs> no, no. And okay. That, that part made me really angry. Cause I did, I, and I still do, I do social media for small businesses nice. and I love that. Like I, like I have a passion for social media, but for somebody to tell you like, you're only good at it because of Arbon is a lie because I did the research on my own to become good at social media. And then another thing that got brought up was, well, you know, what if your husband leaves you, then, then what? Like you're a stay-at-home mom, you make no money. And it was like, well, I don't, I don't. And I think that's when my husband really got upset because, you know, we've been together for 14 years now. Um, We've been married for nine. So like, you know, we've, we're really big on like, we're always going to work it out. Like if something were to happen, like terrible, but it was like, well, what are you going to do if your husband decides to leave you? then what? It was like, like that to me, I was just like, I I couldn't handle the conversation anymore and it was done. Yeah. So that was the last interaction, like with those upper level people. Mm-hmm. And then it was the other girls on my team that would like, not on my direct team, but like your sideline sisters, right? Like your sidelines, your girls that you work with, um, I, they, I remember they messaged me and they would be like, are you happier without us now? Like blah, blah, blah. Or they would be on zoom calls and one of them would message me like, Hey, how are you doing? Um, are you still in Arbonne anymore? And then you would find out that they were on a zoom call. Cause then you would get a message from one of them, like being like, Oh, so this is how you really feel. And it was like, but I hadn't messaged that person. So obviously so it's like uh, mean girls, like yes. we, like call, like, Oh my God. Yeah. So that was my experience wow. leaving. It wasn't great. Um, yeah. and I ended up just having to stop answering people. I had to start blocking people on my phone just because like, I couldn't handle it anymore. Like it just became too much. Like I felt like I was back in high school again, where it was like the motto in our bonds always like, you can sit with us, but now it's like, the you're out like yeah yeah and in all honesty I I don't talk to a single one of them anymore um I have had one girl that was directly on my team message me when she found out I left and was like hey I just want to let you know this is what happened and this is why I left because she never gave me a reason she just was like I like it's just too much with her job that she went back to we'll come to find out 
our higher ups had reached out to her and given her the same, same business. So I felt terrible for bringing people in and not knowing for a year, that's why they had left. But now that I've left and people know that I've left, I've had so many more people like reach out to me about their experience leaving. And it does, it makes you feel not so alone. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so you have kind of like hinted to me offline that there was some turmoil after leaving. Is there like more to that that you want to speak on or are you not ready yet? Or Yeah, no, I just, it's always, it's always just interesting to me. Like the, the fact that now, um, since I've left, obviously I work with a personal trainer now who has taught me how to like food again. I think that was a big thing when I was in Arbonne, I had gotten so skinny. I'll be honest. I was probably an unhealthy skinny at the time, um, because I was only doing two shakes a day in one meal. And that was consistent for the last three years. Um, and now I've had to like, learn to really like food again, but you know, the girls that I used to work with, um, some of them had reached out like, Oh, looks like you're gaining weight again. Oh, you know, and things like that. So, or like, I'll post a picture of myself drinking a coffee and I've had to go back and block these people, obviously, but I've, you know, drank a coffee or a Celsius or an Alani new, you know, all those fun stuff. Like I'm trying to figure out what I like caffeine wise. And so, um, and then it's like, oh, well, did you know that, you know, Celsius is banned by the NCAA and that it could give you heart palpitations. It's like, so it's like putting fear back in you or shaming you for having an alternative to caffeine. So I just feel like you can leave network marketing, but I feel like there's always going to be some people who slip into your DMs that are like, oh, you're having that again. That's disgusting. Or, oh, that's why you're, you're breaking out again. Cause you're having dairy and you know things like that. So yeah. I feel like they're, most people don't know the negative side to leaving, or they've never had that experience before. But since I've left, I've definitely had some girls mention that I've looked like I've gained weight. Um, I am living an unhealthy lifestyle when in reality I'm just eating and liking food again, (laughs) you know, and I'm not afraid of McDonald's anymore. I'm so glad because (laughs) you know what, that is, there's nothing morally wrong with, well, (laughs) there's nothing morally wrong with food, you know, and it doesn't matter where you get it. If that is what works for you and your family, then that's all that matters. Um, of course, there is a much deeper conversation that can be held there. But in general, overview, no food is morally good or bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and for anyone that's struggling with things being morally good or bad, I just started reading, I'm like halfway through this book uh, by another therapist. It's called, Ooh, not that one. <laughs> It's called How to Keep House While Driving. I'm trying while driving. How to Keep House While Drowning by Casey Davis. Um, and uh, she's also on TikTok and Instagram. She's absolutely wonderful. Um, but she talks about like taking morals away from regular tasks and like things like that. She doesn't like super get into it food wise, but I've definitely applied it um, myself. And it's been really helpful for me. Uh, in this phase of my journey of deconstructing from MLM. So 
uh, I've just been waiting to slip that into the podcast because I've been really excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great. I know I did. Once I left MLM, I went through and I literally, I think I threw every art bomb thing away, the hats, the luggage, the candle, you know, everything that they tell you is bad. It's like, okay, like everything's good in moderation. Um, I started lighting candles in my house again, Danielle, which feels really good to have like scented candles and not like things that smell like nothing. Um, I started wearing lotions and perfumes, which I feel like everything is great in moderation. Again, like you said, but I did, I went through a whole phase of taking everything Arbonne and I just stuffed it in the trash, which in reality, I probably should have donated to people. Um, but I think I was just so angry and that I just, I threw it all away. Well, here's the thing. This is what I struggle with when it comes to throwing stuff, Arbonne stuff away. I still have, I've actually been thinking about it during this podcast. I'm like, I should really throw my stuff away now. It's like been a year and a half. Like, let's go. Uh, two years probably since I bought the actual products that are sitting in my closet, taking up space, um, is that I struggled with donating it Um, Like I gave it some stuff to some friends that were still using the products, but I struggle with donating it to people who have never used it before because I don't want to show them this option that is in that is very expensive. And honestly, I don't know if I can stand behind how good the products are anymore. Mm -hmm. Like it's so hard when you're, deconstructing to know what is true and what is not true that like you can't like I don't know I'm still at this point where I'm like I don't know if these products are as quote unquote clean or pure as they're saying they are what if they're actually really bad for you like the herbal life shakes are and mm-hmm. allegedly um so it, it just makes me really nervous to be like let me go donate this like unopened bag of protein powder to like a shelter or something like that mm-hmm. like Cause I thought about doing that. I was like, oh, this would be fantastic. Like 30, like they're not the best meals, but you know, you're getting protein in that that's still 30 meals for someone that they just have to add water to, uh, which would be great for like a shelter or something like that. But I just, I felt too conflicted about giving someone inaccessible products and then also not really knowing what these products are doing to us. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was like inside of me. I was just like, I can't like pass it on to anybody else. So I did, I went through a whole phase. I threw away all of the binders. I threw away all of the things and I went to Alta and Sephora, which is very frowned upon in the Arbon community in my experience. Um, and I bought all new makeup and I feel really good about it. That's awesome. <laughs> I know it's been a journey. Obviously I'm, um, I'm in therapy now and I've gotten a lot of help in that way. Um, Cause I do, I think, it, you know, people, sometimes they shame therapy, but it's such a good thing, especially if you've gone through, you know, people don't think that leaving MLM can be traumatic, but it is. Um, it can bring back bad memories from your past and things like that. So I've finally gone through that and starting to feel a lot more like myself again, without that, you know, cult, like putting stuff in your head. Absolutely. I'm so proud of you. And thank you for talking about going to therapy on the podcast, because I just really appreciate it when people are, I mean, you've been open and honest through this whole entire (laughs) episode, but I know, like you said, a lot of people are embarrassed about going to therapy. Um, I don't know why it's fantastic. I just have somebody that listens to me complain about whatever I feel like is wrong in my life and, you know, help 
guide me through that experience. And it's just so lovely. It's just so mm-hmm. lovely. Um, you know, hard, but lovely. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, all right. Is there anything else that you want to get into before I ask you my final question? Um, I think that I just really wanted to thank you, um, for starting a podcast and having something like this, that people can go to you and Roberta Blevins have been amazing. Um, especially with leave, leaving, you know, MLM and, you know, with Leah Remini talking about leaving Scientology too, I feel like it's really opened the door that, you know, MLM is like a cult, even though people don't feel like it is, or you think in your mind that you'll never join one and then you do. And so I really just wanted to, you know, thank you for having a podcast that's so open and talking about different people's experience because it's very helpful. And the algorithm definitely worked in your favor because I've listened to your podcast for several months now and it's been life-changing for me. Well, I'm so glad. Thank you so much. That that really means so much to me. Um, and speaking of Roberta, I actually texted her while we were talking to ask when your episode is coming out with her. Um, so definitely be on the lookout for that. It will be out probably after this episode, even though it was like Roberta has so many cool things coming up. Um, but it will be out after this. So definitely keep an eye out. Um, we're using the same name, uh, like Brandy will be like the name for the episodes for each. So you'll be able to tell, and I'm sure I'll post it on my Mm -hmm. story just so everyone can go and listen and compare. Cause I think what you said to me when you recorded with Roberta, you were feeling really angry about mm-hmm. everything s- still. And now you've kind of come to a little bit more of like peace inside. Um, so do you have anything to say about like that journey of like what has gotten you here? Cause I think it's only been a month since you've recorded with her, right? Yes. Yeah. It, I, I think really going through and talking to a therapist, like I said, has been great. My um, route has been more of the faith ther- therapy. Like everybody's therapy is different. Yeah. Um, but I, I just remember, um, her telling me to like write down the things I'm angry about, Mm -hmm. um, and like being able to talk to her about it, about why I'm angry instead of keeping it all inside. So I've done that for years now. I've kept the things that the girls in Arbonne have said to me. I've kept a lot of the things that I learned on mindset Mondays and things like that in my head. So now it's like kind of being released and out there and like I have somebody else that knows about it and understands it and has been able to talk me through it and I think that that's been awesome for me to you know do therapy in the process between a month ago and now which I didn't think I needed um but I I did and it's been a really good experience absolutely that's fantastic thank you so much for sharing that um and um so final question what is your anti-MLM why Oh, shoot. Um, I just feel like a big anti-MLMY would be, shoot, just really, you know, wanting to be friends with people to be friends with people, not because you want something out of them. Mm -hmm. And I feel really good about having to not stalk people on social media and make trying to make a connection and really just forming genuine connections because you know, you want, you want to be friends with people. I think that's good. And also, you know, showing people where you won't stand is super important. Like people, it's important for people to know where you stand, but where you won't. And I felt like 
um, especially in Arbonne, they set some standards in my experience that I didn't align with my values that I really had to like tell them like, no. And that's a huge reason why I am definitely for anti-MLM now. Wow. Thank you so much. This has been absolutely wonderful. I'm so glad that you reached out to me. Um, and just thank you so much. Yes, you're welcome. Thank you. All right, everyone. I hope that you enjoyed this episode and we will see you next time. Bye. Hey, Huns. I just wanted to take a second to tell you guys about Acorn. And no, this is not a sponsored ad. Acorn is a robo-investing account that I've been using to manage my money since I've started my own small business. I honestly had no idea what I was doing in regards to saving for the future, but knew I needed to start somewhere and thought this was a great way to get the ball rolling. I really like the interactive graphics and watching what's going on with my money. If this is something that you feel interested in, feel free to click the link in my bio to start your own Acorn account, and we'll both get $5 added in our accounts for our investing future. Happy savings!